Greetings bipeds and Willkommen dans le podcast Shay the Midnight Insomnia Podcast. Prior to commensification of the words constituting the main section and or items of the show, you are required by law to perform the following tasks. Mow the lawn. Instigate an event. Procrastinate loudly about something or other. Defragment an autopsy. Collapse a waveform. Sketch out a plan for beginning a process of starting to commence a thing. Dilate a pupil. Deconstruct a simile. Like a metaphor. Sand down a beach. Plane down a plane. Phone up a homophone. Wind up a homophobe. Stir up a gramophone. Exfoliate some cheese. Perform laser surgery on a duffel coat. String up an adjective. String up an adjective. Rotate your knees 73 degrees counterclockwise and then install a capacitor in your kneecap so you can keep in touch with the latest developments in egg maintenance. Pace up and down alongside some discarded skin and then tut loudly to passers-by about the state of modern library indexing systems. Compose a missive to some missing missionaries about Michaelmas and the massive machinations of Machiavellian malevolent milkmen. Draw a breath, then rub it out and draw a pension, then rub that out and draw a bath, then rub that out and draw to a close. Then rub that out and draw a cock, a hen and a duck. And a penis. Now that the admin is out of the way, the next item will begin immediately. After this following next brief musical interludificationament.
And now the thrilling conclusion to part one of The Thing That Was In Episode 3. This, therefore, unsurprisingly, is part two of Ethelbert's Sunday Morning. If you have previously not previously heard the previous part in the previous episode, then it would be a bit previous of you to listen to the next bit without having done so, because it really will make very little sense. So, if you are in this invidious position, then pause this episode of the podcast now, but not now, but at the point at which I'm about to finish speaking now, and then listen to the previous episode, but if you want to keep this paused, then you'll have to listen to the previous episode in a different media player, or you'll have to write down exactly the point. Well, it's it's about six minutes, so if you just write on a piece of paper six minutes into episode four, and then go back and listen to episode three, and then come back and read the piece of paper with six minutes on it, and then um, fast forward to, yeah. Although, I don't suppose you call it fast forwards. I'm quite old. Um, I still think of it as fast forwarding, and I still say taping when I'm going to record something because I'm that old. But I suppose you say skipping or sliding along the timeline. So, yeah, slide along the timeline to, well, now that I've spent this time explaining it, it's more like seven minutes and I still haven't finished yet. So um, if you slide along the timeline or whatever to, well, by the time I finish this bit, it'll be, say, seven and a half minutes and that should be just about exactly when part two of the story is going to begin or it it will if I finish a sentence quickly so yeah write down seven and a half minutes or throw away the piece of paper where you wrote at six minutes in case it's confusing and then um, it's it's well it's now seven and a half minutes so if you say um, seven minutes 45 then um, and, and cross out all the previous bits of paper 7 is 45 is coming up now 10 minutes passed fairly uneventfully then they completely stopped doing so at first it seemed as if the sound of the front door being battered down was coming from the episode of the Sweeney currently playing on the television. As the noise became louder, Leslie 36 woke up and looked around the room with an expression of mild interest. After a few seconds, 
the battering ram finally won the fight, and the door which had withstood all manner of weather and other more painful stresses for 68 years crashed to the floor, to be immediately trampled over by eight men with machine guns. Four of them burst into the living room like overexcited puppies in a biscuit factory. The rest ran upstairs and began tearing apart the various bedrooms. Nobody move, screamed the first man to enter the room, pointing his gun at Ethelbert's head, while the other three searched the room and then trained their guns on the two cats watching languidly from the fireplace. Ethelbert impassively took another sip of tea and very slowly, with exaggerated effort, placed it down on the table before picking up the remote control and muting the sound on the television. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Would you like some tea? No, thank you, screamed the man with his gun trained on Ethelbert's head. Cake? It's an old sponge recipe I picked up in Brighton in 1951. Ethelbert began the process of leaning forward to pick up the cake tray. Move away from the cake! I'm afraid that would take up the greater part of an hour. Now then, what can I do for you gentlemen? Ethelbert's posture shifted imperceptibly and a million thoughts began to jostle for priority. I don't think that the cats are going to give you any problems, do you? The three men who had Leslie and Leslie in a pincer movement shuffled nervously and looked rather sheepishly at the other one. Go and help upstairs, he hissed at them. As the men left the room, Ethelbert tried very hard not to break into a smile and also to calculate how long it was since one of the men had opened her bedroom door. About 90 seconds. Time to concentrate. So, said Ethelbert, drawing out the words deliberately slowly, with the timing perfection of a seasoned newsreader, are you going to tell me why your friends are currently trampling their muddy boots all over my house and disturbing my cats. The line was timed to the millisecond. Just as the man's eyes flickered slightly, Ethelbert's spare wardrobe exploded, releasing plumes of CS gas and nicely distracting the one man left downstairs. With practiced efficiency, Ethelbert removed the Glock pistol from behind the sofa cushion and shot the man in the side of the head. Then, pausing to pat Leslie and Leslie reassuringly, the 95-year-old picked up the machine gun and crept slowly towards the living room door. Three sets of footsteps could be heard thumping downstairs, then three bodies fell in a heap at the bottom. Four down, four to go thought Ethelbert, steadying the gun. Now, where did I put that spade? This is going to require a really big hole.
Before commencifying the shopping operation, Colin had a couple of errands to run. Excuse me? Yes, how can I help you, sir? said the man with an air of heavy resignation. This is the tourist information centre, asked Colin. Yes, it is, said the man, glancing sideways at the massive sign proclaiming the booth's purpose. Good, said Colin, just checking. It always pays to be accurate in these matters. I once accidentally bought some crack when I thought I was in a shoe shop. That's five months I won't get back. Anyway, I'm looking for some information. Regarding what? What I should do about my hedgehog. That's not the sort of information we carry. I'm a tourist. I demand that you inform me, or else I shall sue you under the Trades Contradictions Act. That is a made-up act, sir. Like homosexuality? No. Well, you say that, but have you ever actually seen a gay? I've heard they don't show up on film. That's vampires. What about gay vampires? What about gay vampires? Perhaps that's a double negative and they cancel each other out. What? Perhaps you can photograph gay vampires, but not normal vampires or gay non-vampires. Normal vampires. Yes, you know, the ones that don't perform acts of immoral anal-based behaviour on each other. Perhaps you can photograph them. Perhaps you can, sir. I, however, do not have a camera. That's very careless of you, my good man or boy. One never knows when the necessity may arise to photographically capture an incident involving a celebrity bumming in order that one may inform the authorities. I really will have to discontinue this transaction with the utmost haste. Would you care to tell me why? I don't care, but I'll tell you anyway. You've been coming here every day for the last three years, and I really must insist that you piss off and don't come back. Well done, you've passed the test. I shall immediately inform the squirrels that live under my bath. You could expect a visit from them in about 3,000 years. Colin ticked the item off his list and then proceeded with the utmost haste towards the newsagents. Hello, newsagent-style servant. I'd like to buy a Mars bar, please. To eat? Well, all the chocolate bars are right there in front of you. Yes, I'm currently locating them via the method of refracting light through my eyes and optic nerves. So you're not completely stupid. My stupidity has been officially measured by NASA and falls well within the safe levels outlined by the Safe Levels Outlining Committee. And now I begin my next sentence after this colon. I cannot see anywhere a sign stating clearly and rectangularly that they have been tested. I can assure you there is no listeria, salmonella, E. coli or anything else in our chocolate. Yes, that much is beyond the horizon and the pale and my ken and the thunderdome, but have they been tested for drugs? Uh, drugs? thought the newsagent. This is a new one. 
What do you mean? he asked, hoping to expedite matters before the next ice age. Drugs, amphetamines, dope, crack. Oh, sorry, I don't understand. Don't change the subject. Have they been tested? Tested for what? Muscle building drugs. Have in short trousers your current stock of Mars bars been tested, thereby to ascertain whether they or whether they do do or not indeed or in fact contain muscle building drugs or not. Are you serious? No, you're the serious one and I'm the crazy wacky one. I would have thought that was obvious. Geography. Don't change the subject. Have they been tested? Of course not. Why should they have been? To ascertain whether or whether not certain substances have or have whether or have not have been or haven't have not to have been. Yes, we've established that. I'm so pleased. Well, I'm not. Buy something now or leave my shop. Anyway, why would they contain stimulants? Athletes are always failing drug tests and a large number of athletes eat Mars bars. They must do, they keep saying so in the adverts. That's a very tenuous link. Thank you, my good man or woman. Look, will you, during the next 10 seconds before I hit you very hard in the knees and eject you from my shop like a Betamax videotape onto a beige carpet, be buying some bloody chocolate? Of course not. There are no drugs in them. What's the point? Because they taste nice? Yeah, and I eat pickled unicorns for breakfast. Disgraceful. Never darken my stools again. Colin stormed out, noting with satisfaction the MI5 operative lurking near the greeting cards with what he erroneously thought was a hidden video camera. After finishing his shopping, he perambulated over to the park for a relaxing lunch. Excuse me, he asked an unfortunate woman. Yes? Do you require the entirety of this bench in order to complete your culinary processes, or is there a section of it which I may use for my own masticatory purposes, heretofore the oral consumption of prepared sandwich-style sandwiches? The woman clutched her bag to her chest and shifted as far away as she could without actually falling off the other end of the bench. No, it's free. You mean they haven't introduced a congestion charge for benches yet? Excellent! <laughs> They'll be charging us for breathing next, the crafty fascist bastards. Yes, I suppose so, mumbled the woman, trying to ignore him. Really? I was being facetious, but you actually think it's going to happen? I'm absolutely astonished! Is there a white paper in the offing? I really couldn't say. My God, have they made it subject to the Official Secrets Act? I can't believe the depths to which these scum will sink. Do you think we're being bugged now? Should I put a radio on to drown out our conversation? Perhaps we should communicate in code. I don't think that will be necessary, said the woman, finishing her sandwich as quickly as possible. Ah, of course, you've already checked the bushes for MI5 agents and listening devices. Quick thinking, sir. Yes, the last thing I want is for special pride to insert a mind-reading probe into my head and rummage through my memories. I still get headaches. Oh dear, muttered the woman. Thank you for the sympathy, my good sir, but the scar is almost healed now. 
It used to look like a map of Britain, but now it's shrunk to the size of Anglesey. These modern laser probes really are very efficient, even if they do bring back unwanted childhood memories about the cupboard under the stairs. I still get hiccups whenever I hear a dog whistle. I really have to go now, the woman almost shouted. Good idea, yes. I'll wait five minutes before leaving in case they follow us. Excellent idea. Please ensure that you do, said the woman, all but sprinting away. Right, said Colin. Orange alert. Orange alert. They won't catch me with my curtains down again. Ethelbert managed to clean up most of the blood in time for Antiques Roadshow and a well-earned pint of gin. Leslie and Leslie had observed with their usual detachment as body after body had been rolled down, had been rolled down the hill to the bottom of the garden. Having never seen a trunk in the attic, they obviously assumed that this would also be their final resting place and were beginning to wonder if there would be enough room this time, Ethelbert had taken the precaution of trying out a new type of acid that had been bubbling away in the spare airing cupboard for a few months. If calculations were correct, it should render the men down to bones within a fortnight. After Antiques Roadshow, Ethelbert switched over to the snooker and began rummaging around for a fresh bingo card. It occurred to Colin that it had been 17 years since he'd last cleared out his loft, so he went up to have a look at his non-jar-bound archive. Putting on the light, he was pleasantly surprised to find only six items in the whole loft space. Obviously, all the others had either been eaten by mice or abducted by aliens, so we didn't have to worry about them. He assessed the six items in reverse order of his attachment to them. A life-size plasticine replica of Nicholas Parsons trying to pacify Kenneth Williams in a 1978 edition of Just a Minute. A non-life-sized model of the post office tower made from eyelashes, widgets and frozen urine. A map showing the hidden location of Douglas Bader's legs 163 photographs of Winston Churchill and Clement Attlee, both dressed as vicars, throwing buckets of fermenting cheese at some squirrels. A shit in a bottle. And finally, his favourite of all, a parody of the Bayo tapestry made from retread tyres, burnt matches and the hopes and dreams of a thousand disillusioned poets depicting the final of the 2005 World Snooker Championships, where Matthew Stevens lost to Sean Murphy by recklessly taking on a middle-distance blue left-handed. Later that day, Colin was startled, but not unprepared, when the silent alarm mounted in his hallway began to flash bright red. Shouting a quick goodbye to Dinsdale, he drew up the drawbridge, armed the automatic gun turret and hurried down into the tunnel to begin digging the final few feet that would lead him out onto Bodmin Moor. 
From there, he would catch a train to Exeter before passing through Otter St Mary, Honiton, Yarkham, and Chard, before backtracking down to Lyme Regis, Seaton, and Salcombe Regis on his way to the final location of Operation Doomsday. The following morning, Ethelbert was satisfied that the house would now pass all but the most rigorous inspection. The knock at the door was timed to the second, of course. Hello, Colin, said Ethelbert. It's been a while. How is Dinsdale? And that concludes the second and final concluding conclusion part of Ethelbert's Sunday morning. The remainder of this episode will consist of one or more further word items and then the end bit which will be explained at the end of the bits that come before the end um, yeah toes we don't really make enough use of them do we they just sort of sit there on the end of our feet Sometimes they do a bit of a wiggle. They grow nails. They help to fill out socks and shoes. Sure, they do that well enough, but other than that, what useful function do they perform? I suppose they make kicking easier and more accurate, but then again, you really need a decent shoe in order to give something a good kick. Otherwise, you're just going to crunch up your toes and someone who wants inadvertently obviously it wasn't some kind of attempt to create a new sport someone who once very hard in bare feet kicked a radiator and jammed the end of the radiator between my little and my second littlest toe i can tell you that kicking things without shoes is an exceedingly bad idea In fact, the very same toe stroke gap between toes I also did about 15 years later on the metal thing on the bottom of a sofa, the thing that raises it slightly up 
from the ground so there's just enough of a gap that you can catch your bare foot underneath it and split your nail open so that for weeks afterwards the sort of weird greeny brown sort of sludge comes out of it. Maybe that was a bit too much information. The point is, we don't really use our toes. So, if you agree with me, and let's face it, why wouldn't you? <laughs> Unless you <laughs> just trying to be awkward. If you agree with me, as all righteous, right-thinking people rightly should, then why not dig into your pockets and really dig deep and contribute to my new campaign, Let's Find New Ways of Using Our Toes. Go to Kickstarter forward slash hashtag Let's find new ways of using our toes. People talk about towing the line, but have you ever seen anyone actually towing something with their toe? I mean, towing in the sense of pulling something along rather than towing in the sense of just nudging something with your toe, which is admittedly something that you might, you know, occasionally do to a cat. But towing, can toes be used for towing? If not, then why are they called toes? Right then, that's your lot. As we approach 31 minutes, that concludes the first half of this, which be episode four of the Midnight Insomnia podcast. <sighs> it's now actually 5.39 a.m. and I've been up all night doing this and various other things which I'm not going to tell you about. <laughs> <sighs> And in fact, you see, uh, I've overrun now and I've been talking for so long that the backing music has actually run out. See, there's nothing there. Um, when I finish this, the uh, music proper uh, will come in, the music that will carry on for the next uh, half an hour or so and we'll um, either load you into a restful sleep or depending on your 
taste in music and your current state of mind will um, very much uh, be not restful and may um, you know actually keep you awake and give you nightmares while you're still awake no that doesn't make sense anyway there's going to be some music coming up um shortly um and uh that's that so um hope you've uh, enjoyed the episode um if you haven't i'm sure you've stopped listening long before 33 minutes is up so and in fact if you haven't enjoyed it and you've kept listening for 33 minutes then um you really sort of need to go and stand in front of a mirror and just spend probably at least 24 minutes looking very hard at your eyebrows. That was a dramatic pause. Here's some music.